please welcome with us this morning Don Parker. Don, come share. Thank you very much. I want to share with you a couple of little things before I get started on the message this morning. If you do have your Bibles, you can open with me to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to give, begin my exposition or study on that. I've been studying this particular subject as far as the, uh, the, the nature and work of the church for some time now. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you a part of at least uh, a seminary's uh, full semester worth of work in just a few minutes. And so whatever we have together this morning, uh, you'll get. I'll end up probably having to stop. That's usually the way it is. Uh, I, I get a little pumped and a little excited about what it is that God's called us to do as a people. And, uh, and I believe that we are living in decisive days. And uh, we're living in a day when we need to understand that, uh, folks, it ain't the money that's going to do it. It's the people's heart for the things of the Lord that does it. And as you look across the people of God in the, in the scriptures, most of the people that were one to Christ didn't have a whole honking lot of money. What they had was a whole heart, a lot of heart for the things of the Lord. And we need to understand that in the light of, of what we are doing in these days, in the light of the economy across the high desert. You don't have to have a lot of money. The first church that I ever pastored was a poverty-stricken community with 85% Hispanic population. Another 10% of that population was the illegals. And so about 5 to 12%, somewhere around that, uh, uh, Anglo. We had no money. But as we moved and began to pray and call out to God to be able to reach that community for Christ, there wasn't a time that God did not provide. But we didn't have any money. We ended up having three buses running, ministering to the kids. In those days, you could still do it. Now at 40 bucks a gallon for gas, I don't know if it's possible. But nevertheless, there was a way for the people of God to gather together to do what God has called them to do. And I want to start with where it begins. I want to start with, with you know, when you had this church, when this church was first founded, there was a man of God who felt called to this community, one man. And then he had his vision, and it moved, and then others came around and surrounded him and moved, and then the church began to grow, and the ministries began to grow, and God brought to this church family as was needed. And everything that this church family, and I know Pastor Bill shared this kind of thing with you before, it just absolutely has to be the truth. There is nothing that this church does not have that is not here already. And what hasn't been, he will bring as the need Arises. It is important that you understand that because that is part of what my calling as your quote-unquote what we call the director of missions. I've not really ever been real happy with that particular title. Uh, I, I prefer associational missionary. It's what it used to be called when I was a boy. Uh, something or another that describes what a person's heart is in helping people reach people for Christ and develop the believer. That's really what I do. That's what I'm called to do. I'm called to do that collectively and I'm going to share a couple things with you in the light of that. The ministry of our association is to assist, support, and resource the unique God-given vision of our churches to carry out the Great Commission. That's what we do. With the commitment, and this is where it comes into play, because this church family here is wholly committed to this missional endeavor. That's why I'm here today. With the commitment of our pastors and their leaders from our association, from our churches, we're absolutely convinced that this purpose can be carried out. As God has given the group called Baptist, as we identify ourselves, and by the way, we were given that name. We didn't take it. 
We didn't say, oh, we're going to call ourselves Baptists because we're the baptizers. We didn't do that because of the fact that we believe that a person is individually responsible to a relationship to Christ and a person that happens to be three years of age is not quite ready to make that decision, then we would not allow them to follow the Lord in baptism because they couldn't follow the Lord in baptism. They didn't know what they were doing. And so we took a name, as described, called the Baptist. And it just stuck that do that. And there are a lot of good, but, but we associate ourselves together as a group of people across this high desert to reach people for Christ collectively with, with basic same doctrine across the way, which each house or each family, you know, putting their shoes on a little different. If you come to a, my home church, uh, the pastor, uh, I would say half the time wears a tie. Depends on which service it is and what his mood is and what's going on. Uh, and and uh, we have differing kinds of worship experiences, just like you do. Some traditional, some more blended, some just go for it kind of services. You know, so it's it's no matter where you go, there's a different way of doing what God's called you to do. And I think the Lord gave us enough in the Word of God to be able to give have that that the beauty of being able to do it uh, in a methodology way, just however we do it, the best that we can do it, and the way that we do it. You know, if you know, as a, as a young pastor, you know, I dreamed of the day of being able to have a worship service like this. Now, most of the people, you know, if it wasn't out of a hymn book and you didn't use a piano, I never found the word piano in the Bible, by the way, stringed instruments, but not piano. But if you didn't have a piano and an organ, well, then you just didn't have a worship service. And you had to deal with that. You know, and my position was, love them, they will grow. Now, it's taken about 40 years of that growth to experience where there has been a transition in the life of the church so that we minister more effectively as we reach to God. Because when you worship, you're only doing one singular, solitary thing, and that's giving the glory to God as you experience yourself here today, as you come here. That's what you're here to do. You're not here for a show. You know, by the way, I didn't come with a bag of, of, of magic or, or, or a bunch of blessings for you. I just believe that if I expound upon the Word of God and the Spirit of God moves with the Word of God, then all the blessing will take place. It's just going to happen that way. And so my exposition and what I do on the Word of God is to be an encouragement to you to interact with God himself and do what you personally are accountable for. The other thing that is I'm profoundly concerned about is this church family has been strong for many, many years. I, I first became in tune with this church back in 1984. You know, so I've been aware of the ministry of this church for a long time, been strong for a long time, as it's grown and grown, and it is what it is today. But not every church in, the, in, in our High Desert Baptist Association has the strength of this. Not every church is in a community like this, where there's other pastors that the pastors can feed off on if they need to. There are some, such as in Lone Pine or, or out in Bridgeport. I don't know you ever been to Bridgeport. Have you ever been to Bridgeport? One Southern Baptist church there, one church there. He's all by himself. He's a committed follower of Christ, but he's by himself. There's a little church outside of Barstow. Used to be a dramatic church. The facilities have been condemned. The worship center has been condemned. They can't use it. The, the education space that they have, when you walk in, it is unbelievable the way the floors look. They're cracked because the ground's moving. The ground is moving all over the high desert, by the way. I don't know if it's down south where we're at. The ground is moving. There's cracks all over the place. In our worship, or at, our, at our church facilities, at our, 
parking lot, the ground is cracking, and, and the gaps in our parking lot now are something like this. One year ago, they were just slight. The ground's moving. Well, in this particular little church, the whole facility's that way. And the church began to die. And there was four people in that particular church. And they began to cry out to God in anguish and grief. God, don't let this church die. We're the only church in this community. And this itinerant young man, he's not that young, but he's a lot younger than I am, so I call him a young man. And came and he, he happened to look and he, he felt called to, to preach. And he felt called to, to, uh, to reach people for Christ. And he looked and he goes, look, a church building. It's dead. There's nothing here. And he looked in, and there was a Sunday, four people, and he happened to pick his nose in, inside the church, and there was four people sitting there. And they were crying out to God, send us somebody, send us somebody. He walked in. He says, could I preach for you? Then preach. And so he started to preach. But here's my point that I want to take you to. They have nothing. Their sewer went out. We helped them with their sewer. The, 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 the facilities are, are just in total disarray. He's by himself. He has no one to help. No one with the skills to be able to do that kind of thing. Sister churches, and I believe that it's absolutely grounded in the word of God, that sister churches come together to help sister churches so that we can do what we're called to do. And we don't get all mopey-popey because the economy is going down and say, what about us? Just when what about us begins to happen is when God begins to move in the life of the people. That's what occurs. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And I haven't even started preaching or talking about what we're doing. But does it make sense? You see, we're called beyond ourselves. That's what the High Desert Baptist Association is. That's what the California Southern Baptist Convention is. That's what Southern Baptists are all about. Churches helping churches so that we can reach people for Christ and help them have a full and meaningful walk with Him. That's what we're called to do. And sometimes we look out there and we see a pastor and we say, hey, we could start a little ministry here at our church and go and help them in the summertime. We've got some guys that know how to do some things with their hands. Let's go over there and do that building project for them. High Desert Baptist Church Phelan uh, made some bonehead decisions as a church and they put up a worship center. The only thing that they forgot to do was to tell the county they were going to put up a worship center and they had no permits. The county comes along and says, got to take it down, sorry. And so they lost the whole facility. Well, it was just modular units. There's about six of them or so. I forget the number of them. I'm not exactly sure. But it's a number of them. So they had to get rid of them. So they buy property. Instead of exploring it the way that they should have, they buy a house that's sitting on the middle of the street. County comes along and says, this house has been built on the middle of the street. You've got to tear it down. Well, the problem is, is they have no money to do it. And they don't have the people or the resources to be able to help it. We as sister churches could come along and help them so that they can reach that community more effectively so that they're not oppressed by those kinds of things. And it wouldn't cost any money. We send people all over the world, all over the world, on mission trips these days. And somehow we're forgetting our own people and their loss. And frankly, folks, there's a lot of them dying and going to hell because of the fact there's not a single one of us are taking personal responsibility to do anything about it. And we're not willing to put our money where our mouth is. And when you say you love God, let me tell you what love is. Love is the willingness to sacrificially meet the needs of another without expecting anything in return in any selfish manner. That means that you give 100% and they don't give a zero back. Not a thing. 
Don't do this little game called 50-50 where I gave my half. That's not love. When Christ is on the cross, he gave himself totally and absolutely, not a little bit, absolutely for us. And there wasn't anything that we could do to save ourselves. Isn't that right? And he says, if you love me, you will love like I love. That's the new and the great commandment. And I hope that makes sense to you. That's what this High Desert Baptist Association is all about. So we do two things. We work to promote healthy churches as we help come along sister churches and pastors to, so that they can do things that, that God's called them to do. And we work to plant new churches. Now let me describe to you something of what we presently have. We have one deaf church, six African-American churches, two Asian churches, seven Hispanic churches, 27 predominantly Anglo, Anglo churches, four mission churches. We're presently working with one Korean fellowship, and we're in the planning stages for one multicultural church in the Victorville area. But we're also planning on some other things. One of the things that I see that is a great need in most of the churches today is that we have an ignorant generation in terms of the coming of Christ and in terms of what the Word of God is all about. There's no, the, the, people cannot expound upon it. For example, can you tell me what the theme of the book of Matthew is? Or how about the little letter of Jude? Or any one of the themes of the book? If I talk to a typical child and say, can you tell me where the book of Matthew is located in the Bible? And the typical child in church today can't do it, nor can the typical adult. They have little or no training. Now, maybe that's not you. But I can say, say across the land. We have an ignorant generation. And so when people come up and they say, you know, well, you know, what's wrong with loving someone and marrying someone, whoever it is, whether it's your dog or your cat or whatever. I love them. Let's get married. And they say, well, we love that. You know, what's wrong with that? And our youth are buying into that philosophy. You with me? Now, what's the problem with that? What does God say about the issue? Now, if God is God, then he knows what he's talking about. And if he's not God, then he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then what are we? We're foolish for even being here in a situation like this because we're celebrating the resurrection of a dead man. He's not alive. But what drives us in this world today is the death and the burial and the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is truth. And if that's truth, there's a heaven and a hell. And the scriptures are very clear in the exposition of it as we understand it. The Lord's going to stand and every one of us is going to stand before him in judgment. And there's going to be many who will stand up and say, Hey, I preached in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And I did all these other kinds of things in your name. And the Lord's going to look them straight in the face and say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you who have practiced wickedness. You see, there's a lot of people that sit in the pews today who, and they say they believe in God, but so does Satan. And he has every Ph.D. and every Th.D. that you can think of. He knows the Bible backwards and forwards now. You think about that. And hell was designed for him and his followers. It was never designed for the human race. Never designed for that. The only reason why anyone goes to hell is because they choose that. Now, I don't fully understand all that. But the fact is, that's what the scripture teaches. As many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. So I strongly am in favor of helping our churches and helping our pastors equip them so that their people can minister in their community. Well, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to suggest that here in this area you have the strong foundational church. Why not collectively with your sister churches 
help them and equip them in institutes where you can do it on short-term projects. We used to, in Southern Baptist life, or some of you that might have been in Southern Baptist life in the younger days, we had on Sunday evenings, and then the culture took over, and we said football is more important than training our kids. So what if our kids, you know, we got to be with the family. That's the most important thing. So therefore, you know, we don't have time to equip our kids. And so we see what's happened. And it was my generation that began the process. I'm the 60s generation. And if you have, anyone knows, you know, I can see a few of you looking at you. You know what the 60 generation was all about. Man, I was at a party every weekend. You know, and, and, and you know, I didn't drink and I didn't smoke, but, man, I was there. I just, the girls were there. But, but uh, you know, in fact, man, that's what I was. That, that attitude, ignoring what it is. Well, I believe that we need to collectively work together and, and do some equipping. Bring the pool of the pastors together, the elders and equip the people, because that's what they're called to do. And help them understand what we do with a passionate heart. Say, folks, we're on the edge. Every day is closer to the return of Christ. It doesn't make a hill of beans to me whether you think he's coming before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation, but it does make a hill of beans to me that he says he's coming again, and he's absolutely coming again, and we need to teach it unapologetically. And if he is coming again, then there's going to come a day when we experience what I've just, just talked about. I hope it makes sense. Another thing that we need to do that I already began to share with you is we need to develop short-term mission teams equipped to minister in the high desert, both evangelistically and through our ministry project. What do I mean by that? In the church community, we can pull teams together and say, just like we're going overseas, First Baptist Hesperia, and I know this, this is one of the strongest missional churches in, in, in the high desert and in California, one of the strongest missional churches, people who have a passion for reaching Christ. Take those same kind of teams and go out and let's reach people for Christ here in our own high desert. And the same way that you take two weeks off of vacation to go to Peru like we do at First Baptist Hesperia. You take two weeks off and say, we're going to go and assist this church in some kind of project. And we'll have the leaders that can collectively put it together in order to make it happen. Now, I'm going to pause again. It's my bad speech habit, but it makes you listen. It was like Charles Stanley says, listen, listen, listen. You say, hey, Charles, I am listening. You know, what do you got to say? You know, does that make sense, what I'm sharing with you? Are you with me? Somebody say amen if, if that makes sense. You see, you know, it, it's now, why am I sharing this? Why do I be, am, am I so passionate about it? Because of the fact that God has had grace in my own life. And I know what God can do when we turn ourselves over to him. And there is a heaven and there's a hell. And I need to be able to deal with it. And I need to deal with it factually. So we need to do that. And then I want to just... Now, this was just my stuff. The pressing need, then, is the support of our small churches and their pastors. Even though they're out in the desert, they're never alone. Because they know they have their sister churches. When they have a need and they make a call, we'll be there for them. I've got some pastors. One of our pastors has a Ph.D. in psychology. He says, Don, I'll make myself available to every pastor to equip them and train them. All I need to do is provide the resource tools in order to help them so that they know how to counsel effectively and, and minister to their people effectively. Biblical counseling as well as, as what's necessary so that they protect themselves the law. You go out here and it's an itinerant pastor. He maybe has one year of college education or none at all. And he walks into a situation and he has absolutely no idea of what he's facing 
in the world today and the vultures that are out there to get there. And I hope that makes sense. That's why I'm passionately committed to reaching people for Christ and helping this group of churches here in the high desert do what God's called us to do. Amen? Now, I don't have any idea because I love it. This is... I love it. No, no, no clock, no watch <laughs> to, to uh, tell you what time it is <laughs> to do whatever it is. I, I got to apologize. What time am I supposed to think? About 10:30. Okay, we got a couple minutes. We're going to take a look now at this text, and I'm going to describe for you again. I'm going to I'm going to begin the picture to stimulate your thinking about what we're called to do as a church. Now, notice what I'm saying here. The church is calling in light of the elders and deacons' ministry. The church is calling in the light of the elders and deacons' ministry. Now look at the text in First Peter chapter 5, and this is the springboard because I'm going to, I have a slew of text to, in terms of the study that I've been doing in this area. And I'm reading from the New King James translation of the Bible, just so you know how to follow along. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers. Not by compulsion but willingly. Not for dishonest gain but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise you younger people. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that's where I'm going to stop. Now, there are a number of pictures of the church, and it's important for you to understand. There are seven pictures of the church in the New Testament. And in order for you to have a complete understanding of what the church is all about, you need to have a good understanding of those seven pictures of the church. And and let me just describe for you what I'm talking about. In the Bible, or in the New Testament, it describes the church as the head and the body. And if we could say anything about the head and the body, there's so much going on in that body that's necessary. But one of the most important things is that we as a church needs to recognize that all the directions come from the head to the body, never from the body to the head. It's always that way. God has never, or Christ has never relinquished his authority over the church. And so therefore, as he expounded upon the word and gave the word, he says, here's what you do. And here's how I'm going to outline it so that you can do it. All the directions come from the head to the body. That's one picture of the church. But it's not the complete picture of the church. Another picture of the church is the vine and the branches. And in that, we see the life of the church is, is or the life of the church is the mighty power of the Spirit of God moving through its branches. The life of the church is going back and forth. If you understand a little bit about viticulture, and I don't understand a whole lot about it, but I do know there's roughly around 15 to 1,800 different varieties of grapes. But in every one of them, you cannot distinguish where the life is because the life is flowing through them. And that is what the power of the Spirit of God does in the church. But that's not a complete understanding of what the church is all about. Then we have the high priest and the priesthood. And when I was a boy growing up in Southern Baptist life, that was a big teaching. And it still is a teaching. Because in that teaching, is one of the things that we are all called to do, and that's to be ministers of the gospel of Christ, our priests. 
He's the chief priest or the high priest. And we are the priesthood. Now, here's the little ditty. Elders are called to equip the sheep to transform into individual believer priests that does ministry. Now, that's only a part of the picture of the church. Then we have the bride and the bridegroom. No greater love can be expressed than the love of the Lord for his church. Therefore, we love like him, the bride and the bridegroom. We have the church as the building. As we are the stones of which he's the chief cornerstone. We're the growing holy temple of God secured by our chief cornerstone. We're the growing temple. The holy temple. We're the temple. You're the temple. I reminded one time, I was standing outside in front of my church building one time. This guy was smoking a stogie, and it was a nice smelling stogie. And the other guy had a pipe, and a couple of them were, had their, their smokes in their hand. And uh, we looked, and we were talking, and, and I said, well, it's time for worship service. And, and so we, uh, he said, oh, well, I need to put out my cigar, and I need to put out my cigarette. I said, well, what do you need to do that for? He said, well, we're going to go into the temple. And I paused, and I thought for a second. And I said, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but I'm going to do this anyway. I said it real nice. I said, didn't you know that you're the temple? We're just going into the place where the people meet, the house. That's all it is. It's a house where the temple goes into. We're the temple. Changes the whole attitude of how we look. at. It. Then we're the family, the household of God. Now, here's a little ditty on this. If you'll go through scriptures, one of the most amazing things to me is that the scriptures nowhere ever calls us adults of God. Never does. It only calls us children. We are his children, not his adults. He's the father. He oversees the family. And he, is, he has said, here's how I'm going to take care of the family. I'm going to use older brothers, sisters, to help take care of the family. And then there's a way that they are to be taught using deacons or elders. And then there's a way that things are to be carried out when the yard needs mold. Now, I'm being a little loose there, okay? Uh, you know, the deacons, the servants. You see, we've taken that term and, is, uh, and, and, and made it something that it really isn't. If you're a deacon here this morning, you're called to do one single solitary thing for the life of this church, and it's to take care of your church. Deacons are different than, by, by, than someone that just has a gift of helps. Gift of helps, the person is, man, they'll help you, and they'll help you anytime, and boy, they're good at helping people, but sometimes they have to be asked. But the same word described for a deacon never has to be asked. They see a need, and they go for it. They see grandma at the church who can't take care of her desert yard, her whatever plants or whatever else. She can't take care of her garage. She can't help clean her things. And they go, hey, guys, we need to go over there and help clean her house. I don't do that. I go to meetings. That's all I do. Discuss what's going on in the church, and then that's all we do. That's not what you're called to do. Not according to the scriptures. I did an etymological study of the word deacon or, or servant. I found that the word bondservant or slave goes all the way through the scriptures. And the, only, the essence of that calling was on one and singular solitary thing as far as deacons are concerned. And that's on their high character. Other than that, they just are serves, servants of the church. They're slaves of the church. A bondservant was one who willingly made himself a slave to another. Willingly. Back to the Hebrews, they took a little thing and they put a hole in your ear and then you wore a piece of jewelry to demonstrate that you had willingly put yourself in alignment with this particular family. 
So deacons, here's what your next assignment is. Is your pastor's going to be getting you a little peg and he's going to put a hole in your ear. Because you've willingly put yourself in to that calling. And then there's the shepherd and the sheep. And you notice, and this is what our passage of scripture deals with in this morning, this morning, in this particular light. The shepherd, the chief shepherd, has assigned the under shepherds to feed and take care of the flock. And the sheep, folks, need a whole hunk and lot of help. Not a little bit of help, but a whole hunk and a lot of help. And I'm going to stop on this, but I want to describe for you a little bit about sheep and why the necessity for the elders to shepherd. By the way, if you look at the, uh, the word in Ephesians 4 where it says pastor, the reason why the word says pastor in that particular text is because of the fact that they translated it from the Latin into the text rather than what the word actually says. If you look at it, for those of you who had a little bit of Greek, or you can go to Vine's 